Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 82, Quran, Surah 96, Al-Alaq, The Clot. Read, O Prophet, in the name of your Lord who created, created humans from a clinging clot. Read, and your Lord is the most generous, who taught by the pen, taught humanity what they knew not. Most certainly, one exceeds all bounds once they think they are self-sufficient. But surely, to your Lord is the return of all. Have you seen the man who prevents a servant of ours from praying? What if this servant is rightly guided or encourages righteousness? What if that man persists in denial and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees all? But no, if he does not desist, we will certainly drag him by the forelock, a lying, sinful forelock. So let him call his associates. We will call the wardens of hell. Again, no, never obey him, O prophet. Rather, continue to prostrate and draw near to Allah. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al-Ghamdi. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأثرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم كلا إن If you've been listening for a while, you probably know that the first five lines of this surah are the very first revelations to Muhammad from the angel Gabriel. Now, why only the first five? Well, it took about a year to complete this surah, and the reason usually given is the physical toll, you know, the effect on the body that the first revelation caused in Muhammad. You know, so in a lot of ways, this was a, a physical thing. You know, because, I mean, obviously, historically, in encounters with the divine, <laughs> they're not neutral on the body, you know, whether they're real or imagined. The body is encountering something that it is not equipped to deal with, especially in the case of someone like Muhammad, who is frankly new to all this. You know, he didn't grow up in a monastery or a nunnery or even a church or anything. You know, this whole God thing was actually pretty new. You know, 
and the sheer power, you know, think of God at Mount Sinai, you know, when that level of energy pulsates through someone, especially someone new to it, it is very logical that this person would be drained. It would drain a person's physical body in a major, major way. And that was the claim with Muhammad, particularly in the early days. Now, in some ways, to kind of understand this claim, you know, if, if you've never had an encounter with the divine, I have not, <laughs> you know, you have to go to the next best thing. And I think a good comparison would be an illness. You know, um, think about the accounts of people who had uh, just really, really nasty bouts with COVID and, and just basically were just lumps for two weeks and couldn't do anything. You know, I, I thought of this a while back um, when I was laying in bed. You know, I didn't have COVID, but it, it was maybe 5 a.m. And I woke up just shaking violently, you know, just soaked through my clothes with sweat, shivering to the point I couldn't even talk. Now, part of this, I may have been a little sick, but, but a good part of this was that it was just a colder night than was expected. So, you know, the heat should have been higher. I should have had more blankets and I should, definitely should not have had a fan blowing directly on me. But the result was, you know, I felt horrible and I didn't know I was that sick at the time. And so you're not even thinking straight and you're sitting there, you're just shivering and making weird noises you know, and then eventually, you know, my wife woke up and threw several covers on top of me. You know, it's uh, it's that kind of physical experience that Muhammad's talking about this. Actually, very similar. Um, that his wife covered him with blankets as well. Um, except that for me, the fatigue from that night was just limited to that night. But for Muhammad, it went on and on and on. So you have the physical part here that, you know, Muhammad went home and he was just shivering and just uncontrollably felt like he was cold asking his wife to cover him in blankets. And she does. And eventually he's okay. But you know, it, it took a toll. Um, in Muhammad's case, there was also a larger part of this in that he didn't know what happened to him. You know, that happens to us. You know, we, we live in a world post germ theory. We, we have a kind of a good idea what's causing X, Y, and Z, you know, back then they certainly didn't. And add into all that, the spiritual nature of all this, uh, that mystery would just completely capture your mind. I mean, you wouldn't be able to think about anything else. You know, so Muhammad actually took quite a while to become convinced that this person was the angel Gabriel. You know, it wasn't until a year later that this surah was given its full meaning. You know, so this surah, there's the first shock to the system, the first five lines, you know, the attention grabber. And then you have the remaining 15 lines, which are the explanation. Uh, for more on this period in history, by the way, see episode 22, uh, Islamic History, the First Revelation and its Aftermath. 
So just think of this Sora in two different parts. Like I said, the first five lines of the message and the last five lines, <clears throat> should I say 15 lines, are a response to the first year of preaching those first five lines. Let me say it again. That may have sounded very confusing. The first five lines are the message being given. And the last 15 lines are a response to the first year of preaching those first five lines, meaning a response to what the people are saying in response to the message and the resistance to that message that was encountered. Now, we'll get to that resistance in a minute, but given the importance of the first five lines, which are just hugely, hugely important in the history of the world, history of religion, history of a lot of things, you know, we should really examine each one of these lines individually. The the translation I used um, up top was the Mustafa Kitab translation. I just thought it was the, the clearest in this case. Um, so line one was, Read, O prophet, in the name of your Lord who created. So Kitab chose the word read there, to read, O prophet. Although recite is actually a more common translation. The Arabic word here is ikra, which is the same root as the word for Quran, the recitation. Or as I said a few times before, uh, the lectionary in a Christian church was called the Quran. And I like recite too. I think that's a, a good translation because, you know, keep in mind this situation here. Gabriel is overwhelming Muhammad, who probably feels like he is being squeezed like a boa constrictor. A bi-poet constrictor, like you know, and and this force is giving him his marching orders. This is the mission to recite, you know, not not to read, but to proclaim the coming message. So he is told to recite in the name of his Lord, and who is his Lord? The Creator of all. Interestingly enough, uh, the term Allah is not used here, which is actually kind of poetic because at the time, Muhammad didn't know who or what this was. So then line two, created humans from a clinging clot. Now, that last phrase, clinging clot, that why... <laughs> That varies very, very wildly depending on the translation. You know, it'll be clinging substance, clot, blood clot, congealed blood, germ cell, or any other number of similar things. Uh, the word here, alak, uh, it comes from the verbal root to cling, thus the clinging part you see in so many translations. Basically, Think of a clot of blood or organic matter in a mother's womb. You know, it doesn't resemble a human yet, but it eventually will. This is the beginning of the beginning, like right after an egg is fertilized, the very beginning of human life. You know, and there, there is always the connotation. <laughs> and because of this, that there's the assumption in this phrase that you are talking about something in the womb of a mother. 
uh, that that's the key part. You know, it's you're something in the womb of a mother. And why? Why does it say that? The idea here is that God is the mother of humanity. Humans did not just develop by accident. It was in God's womb where we were created and nurtured. And the past tense for created is used here. So it's not about God building something in the future. So of course he could, but this is about the past. God is asserting his authority by claiming credit for where humans are now. It was God who turned and nurtured that blood clot into humanity in the universe of the womb. It doesn't happen without him or her, or I mean, the pronouns vary so wildly in the Quran, I think just to kind of drive home the point that God isn't male or female or anything. That's why you'll see we did this, us, you know, pretty much any pronoun. God is beyond pronouns, basically. All right, so line three. Read, and your Lord is the most generous. This is basically just setting up the next line and letting humankind know, wanting them to understand just what it is that God has done for them. And what did God do? We have line four, who taught by the pen. And what did God teach by the pen? Line five, taught humanity what they knew not. And in this case, what God is teaching by the pen, that has a double meaning here, at least a double meaning, if not a triple, quadruple, infinitesimal meaning. Now, the obvious meaning is that God taught humans the higher things, the things that don't exist without literacy, mathematics, for example, or even the general concept of language itself, you know, complex communication. Again, it's not something that just sprung up randomly. Language itself came from God. And really, knowledge itself comes from God. Without God, we'd just be weak, hairless primates destined for extinction, if we existed at all, which, of course, probably we wouldn't. So this is past tense. God taught. But at the same time, there is a hint at the future. Because the Quran was going to be different. You know, this would be a book that would teach by the pen in a direct way that hadn't been seen before, at least not on this scale. The Old Testament prophets received direct revelations from time to time, and they did eventually get these things written down. But this would be a greater book, a massive volume of God teaching directly by the pen that which man knew not. And unlike with Moses, the people would actually watch this book, this law, being built before their eyes. Muhammad wasn't going up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. God was coming to earth in Muhammad and in direct view of everyone. And unlike the Gospels, there would be no intermediaries between the prophet and the message. You know, just like, of course, Jesus didn't write the Gospels. His disciples told the story. You know, Jesus didn't record his own resurrection. 
It needed witnesses. Now, this would not be like that. This would be more direct. God to prophet to paper, at least theoretically. Now, Muhammad was said to be an illiterate, so someone else would have to write it down. And the Quran actually... Similar to the Gospels, in a way, it wasn't actually codified until later. It was the uh, under the Caliph Uthman, much long after the Prophet's death, that the Quran itself, as we know it, was actually codified. But anyway, here Muhammad had his great commission, his prime directive. But for a long time, Muhammad had very little to put into his book of direct messages from God. As one would expect, his message, Muhammad's message, which I suppose you could say was also God's message, but the message did not do so well in the beginning. And that's quite understandable. You can see the thought process of the people around him. And honestly, you'd probably be thinking the same thing. You know, what, are we to suddenly believe that this mild-mannered of all mild-mannered people this straight man of straight men was suddenly special enough to be hearing direct messages from God and not a God, the God. And apparently we're being told the only God. So the rest of this surah addresses those voices. It addresses those who are rejecting the lesson. So just as a refresher, let's, let's read those lines again. Lions 6 to 19. Most certainly, one exceeds all bounds once they think they are self-sufficient. Surely to your Lord is the return of all. Have you seen the man who prevents a servant of ours from praying? What if this servant is rightly guided or encourages righteousness? What if that man persists in denial and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees all? But no, if he does not desist, we will certainly drag him by the forelock, a lying, sinful forelock. So let him call his associates. We will call the wardens of hell. Again, no, never obey him, O prophet. Rather, continue to prostrate and draw near to Allah. Now, these are very common Quranic messages, common Quranic themes, and ones that, interestingly, fit very well into our time and place, because modern people think that they are self-sufficient. They think they create their own laws. You know, they think that all that they have just came from them, and it is their greatness or humanity's greatness that deserves praise and awe. They do not realize, of course, that to God, all things return, as the Surah says. This Surah uses the example of a master who will not let his servant pray, which is, of course, ridiculous, because his servant is the one, in this case, who is rightly guided, if only he would see it. But no, he does not see wisdom right in front of him. He thinks he should be teaching the servant when it is clearly the other way around. He is rejecting wisdom from above and from below. The servant has taqwa, 
or God consciousness, someone who understands the true source of wisdom and the source of everything else in the universe, for that matter. And this Sora points out that the master is also unaware or completely indifferent to the fact that God knows all. And God will only tolerate this kind of thing for so long. And what will he do? The Quran here says, if this type of man does not desist, God will drag him by his lying, sinning forelock. Yes, his forelock. <laughs> not exactly a common word. This word is usually understood to mean forehead. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. You know, what you need to understand, though, is there is a larger cultural context to what is being said here. Because to grab someone by the forelock was an expression that meant basically forcing someone into utter subjection and humiliation. Now, in our language, that might be translated as grabbing someone by the you know, lower male genital organ. There are two of them, about the size of marbles, but that's hard to say in a religious text. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even imagine that word appearing in a Bible, which is probably why no translators use that expression in the Quran either. Now, the Arabic basically says that, just with a less vulgar body part. You get the idea. Total control, total submission, total humiliation, you know. And the Arabic expression works even better because the forehead is also where the brain is, where thought and wisdom and all of that are processed. So do not worry about those people, the Quran says. Just keep doing what you have been doing, addressing Muhammad. You know, hey, Muhammad, just keep doing what you're doing. They may be preparing difficulties for you, but at the same time, God is preparing hell for them. So do not worry about the mockers and the powerful enemies who irrationally hate their creator. In modern times, this message actually applies to pretty much any community under siege by the less than enlightened. You know, God is preparing a place in hell for the Chinese authorities who persecute the Muslims in the West and the Christians in the East. Theirs is a horrible future, you know, to use Quranic language, Quranic sounding language, you know. As always, God will deal harshly with those across the world who are normalizing wickedness and worshiping themselves and standing in wonder at their incredible knowledge utterly oblivious to whom they actually owe that knowledge in the first place. You know, the message is God will win and it is God who has the power and God who will decide the time to deal with these people. And Muhammad, those people who torment you, they're standing out on a limb. You know, they're steadily gaining weight as they blissfully stand over a mile high pit to hell. And if they're happy like that, well, what can you do? You can witness, but ultimately it's in God's hands. You know, there's only so much you can do. So instead, we are told, focus on yourself, yourselves, 
you know, focus on the things that draw you nearer to God rather than worrying about those who continue to keep their distance. Pray, submit, love God in defiance of the haters. And that message is just very powerful in and of itself. Uh, St. Paul and the apostles knew this quite well. Christianity grew in persecution, fertilized by the blood of martyrs. And how powerful that was. Just think about it. Through Jesus, the Jews eventually beat the Romans. They won. <laughs> Not only did they beat them, you know, the Jews took over the entire empire through Jesus. Without raising a sword, Caesar was deposed by Peter in Rome, even though Peter had the notable handicap of being dead for several centuries. That's the power. The wicked cannot win on a long enough timeline. They may win a battle or many battles, but they always lose the war. Always. Which is something being conveyed here. Now, while the Quran may not have been <laughs> specifically talking about, say, the 12 Jewish pacifists who took down the Roman Empire, you know, this is a universal and eternal message the Quran is giving. Because that message is always true. Even now. You know, you may be discouraged by some of the more recent events in the modern world, and I get it. There's tragic stuff out there, and so many entities who listen more to brain-fogged activists to, than to any religious thinkers. And it seems like wickedness is on the march and can't be stopped. Only it will be. It has to be. So take comfort in this promise. They will not win because that's impossible. God is on your side. And when that's true, you almost have to pity those who are against God. That's the message in the wrap-up of Surah 96. The, uh, or should I say the second half of Surah 96. So this message is being used by the Quran to encourage Muhammad and the Muslims. And then in some ways, just taking the message and launching it into the future. Because like I said, it, it even works now. You know, and the message is if you continue to love God and you continue to focus on God and focus on the message of God and the adoration of God, there is nothing the wicked can do about that. They cannot win. Again, as true then as it is now. The modern persecutors of the church and of the message, they can't win. So in the meantime, it's just not constructive to fill yourself with rage and hate, you know, as I'm sure Muhammad and his followers were tempted to do. You know, they, they had to resist that, and uh, just, just as the disciples resisted that. At best, your enemies, you can pray for them, and you can love them as best you can. And in love, do what you can to make their eventual landing as soft as possible. But, you know, if they persist, that landing might be quite hard. 
in the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher, which is one of my favorites, I highly recommend it. There is a, a child who is playing chess and he stretches his hand across the board and he offers his opponent a draw just out of sheer mercy. Not because he has to, but because he wants to, you know, kind of like God does to sinners in, in a Christian point of view. You know, and this boy says, you've lost. You just don't know it yet. Much like the Arab pagans. <laughs> now, that child, of course, did not take the offer. And really, few will take the offer. And at that point, of course, the main character, who I suppose is substituting for God, if that's not too blasphemous. So the main character, he had no choice but to annihilate him. Basically grabbing him by the forelock and making him look ridiculous you know, on a chessboard. <laughs> so that's kind of what we have here. God offering a temporary draw and offering mercy. But if they persist, I believe is the word the Quran uses, eventually that offer expires. And by choice or by force, God will eventually teach everyone that which they knew not. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.